If everyone is ready, let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus 24, verse 12. I'm going to be reading to you from Exodus 24, 12 to 25, 8. 24, 12 to 25, 9, actually. So as you're turning there, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. This is called the Pentateuch. Exodus was written by Moses somewhere around 1400 B.C. And the book was written as he was leading Israel into the promised land. So today we read it some 3,400 years later in a far different context. But it's instructive to to consider the context for Exodus. Okay, let's read the scripture, shall we? Exodus 24, 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he, God, called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 1 of chapter 25. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take up for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastplate. And now the key verses here. Verse 8 of chapter 25. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture. So shall you make it. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you for your help to preach this message. And I pray for your grace that my friends may hear this message, that together we may apply this message, O Lord, to cultivate a meeting place with you where we hear your voice and receive your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This week, workers have built an addition to the Pino home. They arrived early to beat the summer rains. They measured out distances. They poured concrete. They laid bricks, ensuring the proper openings for windows and doors. 
They created a dwelling place for you. That's right, you. You see, Desi and I love to hang out with you guys. We enjoy having people over to our house for hospitality. So, we built an addition to our home. We look forward to years of hosting guest luncheons, hosting evangelistic Bible studies, hosting family gatherings, football parties, holiday gatherings. Motivated by a desire to dwell with you, we have taken the time and the resources to create a place where that can happen. In the same way, God, motivated by His own desire to dwell with His people, here in this text, takes the time and the resources to create a place where He can meet with His people and speak to His people. That's what we have here in this text. God instructing Moses to create this dwelling for his glory in the midst of his people. And this dwelling place is called the tabernacle or the sanctuary. This is the place where God's going to meet with his people now. This is the place where God's going to speak to his people now. Now let me just say this right up front. Today, we don't have a tabernacle. We do not have a temple. We have Christ. He's become our tabernacle. He's become our temple. So if you're a visitor or a guest and don't quite understand what's being spoken of here, let me just tell you that God dwells with his people today, not in a physical place, but in the hearts of believers by his spirit. It's every bit as much a miracle as what we're going to read today. And it's available to each one of us in Christ Jesus. But here's the point. Since God initiated this tabernacle or meeting place with his people, then we as a people, now reading from your notes, need to cultivate the place where you meet with God and hear from Him. We need to cultivate the place where you meet with God, where you hear from God. This morning we're going to look at the Old Testament example of that, but it bears New Testament implications. Actually, implications for us today in Christ. So remember that. Let's talk about God's glory first before we jump into the text. God's glory is God's presence. And in this text, God's glory resides where? It resides on a mountain, Mount Sinai. It is so powerful that when the people look at the mountain, they see a devouring, devouring or a consuming fire. They actually see Moses entering into that, and they're thinking, we're never going to see Moses again. Now, if you trace the glory of God, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, it's found in bringing Israel to Egypt to feed them. And then as we move through the book of Exodus, we see God's glory sustaining Israel. We see God's glory feeding Israel. We see God's glory multiplying Israel for 400 years under slavery. And then we see the glory of God afflict Israel and deliver, excuse me, afflict Egypt and deliver Israel miraculously through the Red Sea. We see this glory as a cloud. We see this glorious fire that protects Israel from the Egyptian army. Now, today, we see the glory of God on a mountain. And one man is going to go up to that mountain and relate to God. But by the end of the book, we see the glory of God descend from the mountain and come to live in the midst of his people. Do you see the picture? God's glory is real, pal. But he wants to live not just in heaven, but in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes that happen. Do you see that? So watch the movement. As a matter of fact, let's just look at this one text. Exodus 40, 34 to 38. 
It's the end of the book. It simply says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So, what is this tabernacle? What is this place for God's glory? It is what we call the tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically measuring about 150 feet long and about 75 feet wide. And it was right in the midst of Israel. If you have an NIV study Bible, I believe or a, or a uh, Zondervan's pictorial encyclopedia, it will show you that the tabernacle had a special place and that God even arranged what tribes would be right around the tabernacle. And if you just imagine tents for two million people spreading out, but right in the middle of the people was this tabernacle. This tabernacle. It was the focal point. It was the place where God met with His people. It was a movable tent of meeting. As a matter of fact, in that Exodus passage, chapter 40, it says the tent of meeting. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant resided. The Ark of the Covenant resided in the tabernacle. It was the first item that Moses instructs, or God instructs Moses to build. Let me just read to you from Exodus 25.10, then I'm going to skip down to Exodus 25.16-22. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall put, verse 16 of chapter 25, you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. Hence it is called the ark of the testimony, or as the movie popularized, the ark of the covenant. What movie? Of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, you remember that? Ark of the Covenant. And so the covenant was simply the two tablets that Moses would receive on the mountain. Those are the Ten Commandments. Verse 17. You shall make, this is very key, verse 17 of Exodus 25. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. May I just make a brief parenthesis here. When people saw the glory of God in the Bible, they either A, died immediately, B, dove into the ground and prayed they wouldn't die immediately. Okay? So therefore, in this church, there is no wimpy angel allowed. Angels do not look like effeminate creatures with little wings that fly around. Okay? They don't look like little babies with little arrows. In the Old Testament, when an angel or a cherubim showed up, the glory of God was associated with it, and people were, ho- were hoping they wouldn't die. Close parentheses, end of commercial for no wimpy angels. Back to the sermon. Thank you. 
That's right. Verse 18, 19. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. Verse 20. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. Verse 22. Oh, verse 22. Circle verse 22. Rejoice over verse 22. Exodus 25, 22 is our hope. It is our joy. It points to Jesus. There. I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Covenant, on the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel inside, inside the very essence of the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies is the place where God meets with us. God initiated. God wants to dwell with His people God wants to meet with his people. So he creates the Ark of the Covenant. He creates the mercy seat on top of the Ark because he knows his people need mercy. Because we're sinners. Isn't that great, great news? The mercy seat is the place where God met with his people. Oh, dear friends. Today... Our mercy seat is found in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, as we heard in worship, Hebrews 9, Jesus entered into the heavenly tabernacle and he sprinkled the heavenly mercy seat, not with the blood of bulls and of goats and of lambs, but no, he sprinkled it with his own blood in order to grant us forgiveness of sins and access to our Holy Father. Scripture tells us to approach the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace in time of need. Oh, God's presence is real. It is holy. It is terrible. He is good, but he is not safe. Especially he is not safe to sinners. But this holy, good, awesome, terrible God says, I'm merciful. And the very article that best describes him has on the top of it, not a judgment seat, but a mercy seat that is sprinkled with blood because you need it, I need it. Run to Christ this morning if you don't know Him. (laughs) He is waiting with open arms. Run to Christ. Well, next, moving from the very inside of the tabernacle a little bit out to what's called the Holy of Holies is something called the table of showbread. The table of showbread. Look at chapter 25, verse 23. The second item that God instructs Moses to build is described in the following manner. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length and two cubits shall be its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. Verse 30 of chapter 25. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. God instructs Moses here to build a table on which to place the bread of presence or show bread. These would be 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel, six each, two, two stacks of six, with wine as well placed on the table. The bread and wine, now catch this, the bread and wine are a sign of the covenant between God and his people 
Israel, as they remembered God's provision of food and drink in the desert. Oh, friends, please don't miss this one. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus offered bread and wine as the sign of the covenant communion on the night that he was betrayed to fulfill, I believe, this very sign that we have here. We remember the covenant today as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup of God's provision for us. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus is the word of God. I live by Christ alone. Amen. The third item that God instructs Moses to build in the tabernacle, it's also located in the Holy of Holies, is the golden lampstand. The golden lampstand of the menorah. Chapter 25, verse 31, describes it this way. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. By the way, just in parentheses, probably the gold alone in the temple was worth a million dollars. So later on, when much of this is built in what's called the temple, this is the tabernacle in the wilderness that was movable. When Israel took the land, they built the temple. Probably the gold alone, just the gold in in this one area was over a million dollars. That's not to mention the precious stones, some of the things here. So it was very valuable physically. But of course, what it represented was far more valuable. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work, verse 31 of chapter 25. Its base, its stems, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. Jumping to verse 37 of chapter 25. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light in the spa- on the space in front of it. By the way, no, chance, no time to get into this, but kind of forming a box around this holy place and the Holy of Holies were these tablets or these pieces of wood overlaid by pure gold. So imagine you walk into the holy place and what you see is a lamp lit and the lights reflecting off the pure gold walls. Yeah, I mean, so of course it's representing the very presence of God, but it was a very holy place, a very awesome place. Verse 37 And the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Verse 38. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. So God instructs Moses here to build a golden lampstand which contains seven lamps and it's to remain lit at all times. The lamp then provides the light in the tabernacle and it reminds God's people that what? God is light. Friends, God's word is a light for us. Psalm 119, 105. And Jesus is God's word incarnate in human form. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1, 1. And thus, Jesus not only is the light of the world, not only is he the bread of life, but he is the light of the world. What a picture of Christ. The fourth item that God instructs Moses to build in the tabernacle is actually the tent itself. And here we're going to not be as detailed, but he gives very specific instructions on, on the tent, the size of the tent. The tabernacle tent would be the actual holy place and holy of holies. There would then be a courtyard around the tent and then a court fence, which would describe that larger area that was 150 feet approximately by, by uh, 75 feet. But this is the tabernacle tent itself. And we find the description of it in Exodus 26. 
I'm going to jump around here in a few verses. Verse 1. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim, skillfully worked into them. So again, these masculine attendants of God's glory who were, who were to inspire the fear of the Lord uh, are woven into the fabric around the tabernacle. Okay? And... Um, Skipping down to verse 6. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. Verse 7. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. You know what I find interesting? Is all the things that he commanded Moses to have uh, the folks contribute are the very things that he's going to use to make the tabernacle. Don't you know, dear friends, that he takes you and me with whatever we bring and crafts his tabernacle today? It's the church. And what do we bring? What he gave us? Because where do you think they got all that stuff from? Do you remember your history? What did they take? What did they get when they left Egypt? All the riches of Egypt. So that stuff was Egyptian gold. and he, I mean, slaves don't own that stuff. But just three months earlier, as they were leaving, the Egyptians were throwing all their riches on them. Get out of here. Get out of here. Go, 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 go. Now, I'm not sure I'd classify goat's hair as riches, but back then, goat's hair was valuable, okay? But onyx stones and gold. So they took what God gave them and then contributed it back to God to build God's temple. Are you doing that? Because <laughs> God's still building His temple today. Not physically, spiritually, but we still do inhabit physical spaces, don't we? Isn't that cool? God's still doing it, still doing it, still using our offerings to build his temple. All right, back to the text. Let's find that text. There it is. Verse 6, And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be of single whole. Verse 7 of chapter 26, You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. Verse 14, you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram's skins and a covering of goat skins on top. Isn't it amazing how detailed God is? And remember, he tells Moses, build it exactly as I tell you. Exactly. Verse 15, you shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Then, verse 30, you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. Now, this tabernacle, folks, was roughly 45 feet long by 15 feet wide, by 15 feet tall. It contained two compartments, as I alluded to before, the first being the holy place, which is the outer court, measuring about 30 feet by 15 feet, and then the second being the most holy place, or the holy of holies, measuring 15 feet by 15 feet. And inside the holy of holies was the, uh, the holy place, excuse me, was the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, which we will not discuss today because it's not mentioned here. We will discuss it later as we go through Exodus. And the table of showbread, which we have discussed. And then inside the Holy of Holies actually was only the Ark of the Covenant. No light other than the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. What do you think lit the Holy of Holies? The glory of God. What lights your life? What's your light? Oh, Lord, only your glory and only because of your grace. Because remember, what's on top of it? The mercy seat. The mercy seat. Next, God instructs Moses to make a veil 
Oh, this veil is very important, friends. Turn to chapter 26, verses 31 to 35. Let's, let's follow this very, very closely. If someone can close these doors, that would uh, serve me. Yeah, thank you, sir. Chapter 26. Let's go to verse 31 to 35. This veil. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim. Again, here's the cherubim. Skillfully worked onto it. These were attendants to God's glory. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia wood, once again overlaid with gold, and with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. You know, come to think of it, John, in today's prices, that was way over than a million dollars. What's gold? Almost a thousand dollars an ounce? This is expensive stuff. Okay? And four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. This is the holy of holies. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy or holy of holies. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony on the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil. That's the table of showbread. And the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table and you shall put the table on the north side i mean god is very particular in how we worship him get the furniture right it ain't about you pal put it where god said put it i don't care if you don't think it looks good there (laughs) yeah good it just offends our human sensibilities god wants to be worshiped the way god says to worship him okay lord okay Give a tenth? Why not an eleventh, Lord? Why a tenth? Because I said a tenth. Sunday, gather, why? Yes, Lord. Build your church. Jesus, you're the head of the church, not me. Ah, it's great. It's great. In Israel, in the future, we'll get in trouble for trying to worship God in an unauthorized manner. As a matter of fact, Aaron's two sons would die because they offered unauthorized fire to God. That just means unauthorized worship. May we fear the Lord, even as we run to Him as our Father. I know it's a tension, but it's a good one. All right, reading in your notes. The veil separates the holy place from the holy of holies, and it represents the barrier between holy God and sinful man. So on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the most holy day of the nation of Israel. Israel stands before God trembling, and one man on Yom Kippur gets dressed in his robes that God is going to instruct later, and they put bells on the tassels of his robes. Why? So that as he walks, they can hear the bells, because he's going to go into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. No man can go in there and see God and live unless God bids him come in. And he's going to offer blood on the altar. He's going to offer blood on the mercy seat. And if God accepts that blood for another year, the nation can exist. And this man won't be killed. As a matter of fact, he went in with a a, a rope tied around his ankle. Why? So if God killed him, they could drag him out and send the next guy in. (laughs) I love this tension, don't you? It's a mercy seat. But don't play with it. It's grace, but it's not a license to sin. Isn't that good? He's holy. He's merciful. He's good. He's not safe. I love that tension. I love that tension. 
When Jesus died, I'm reading from the notes, when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And it represents that in Christ our sins are atoned for and there is no longer a separation between man and God. Jesus' body is now the veil through which we approach God as we trust in His blood. No longer does one man go in once a year, but all men and women can go in every day of the year if they trust in Christ, if they fear the Lord, if they receive salvation of Him alone and not of us. Hallelujah. See, that's why there's never, ever, ever a day that a Christian should despair. Christians can cry and suffer, but it's always with an underlying joy that is not based on circumstances, but is based on the objective truth that my God has made a way into His holy presence by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Wow! Does that define you? Does that define you? I pray it does. And now moving outside the tabernacle to the courtyard, God instructs Moses to build something called the bronze altar. We do not have time today to discuss it in detail. We will later. Simply, verse, chapter 27, verses 1 to 4, you shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits, and you shall make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with bronze... So the value of the metal is now decreasing a little as we move a little further away from God's presence in the Holy of Holies. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall also make for it a grating, a network of bronze. And on the net, you shall make four bronze rings at four corners. God introduces this bronze altar of sacrifice where there are daily sacrifices By many, the priests are working day and night here. They are offering sacrifices for all kinds of sin. Jesus, dear friends, is the ultimate sacrifice now for our sins. We read that in Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yes, hallelujah. And then finally, God instructs Moses to enclose the entire tabernacle with what is called the court fence. The court fence. Exodus 27, 9. You shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side, the court shall have hangings of fine twined linen, 100 cubits long for one side, 100 cubits being roughly about 150 feet. Uh, The length of the court shall be, verse 18, 100 cubits, the breadth 50, roughly 75 feet of the width, and the height 5 cubits. So this court fence that sort of enclosed the whole thing was probably about 7 feet tall. Okay, so you really couldn't see into it. And this, this was the area where God now was going to move in. This is God's house. This is where God is going to dwell. His glory is going to move from Mount Sinai into the midst of the Jewish nation. And here is where we see the anticipation of the day that Jesus comes. And now God's presence is with his people, not in a place, but in a person, in Christ, by the Spirit. What amazing grace indeed. Okay, what's the appeal here? The summary or the appeal that we see here is that Moses' tabernacle was the place for Israel to meet with God and to hear from Him. It pointed to Christ, who is the place where we meet with God and where we hear from God. In Christ, God comes to dwell with us. 
The glory of God dwells with man in Christ. Is He dwelling with you this morning? Do you know His forgiveness and mercy? Do you know His word and light? Do you know His glory? At the very moment that Christ died on the cross, the temple veil was separating God from man, was ripped in two. Now in Christ, all who repent and place their trust in Him have a place where they can meet with God and hear from Him. Just listen, just listen to this scripture. This always moves me. Matthew 27. Just listen. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. This means that in Christ, oh dear friends, we're no longer separated from God's benevolent presence by our sins. Prior to that moment of Christ dying, only one man was able to enter God's presence. And that only once a year. But now in Christ, the Lamb of God All who repent and place their trust in Him have a place where they can meet with God and hear from Him. This truth calls us to cultivate something. It calls us to cultivate a place in Christ where we meet with God and we hear from God. So how do we do that? This message really isn't isn't just a history lesson. This message is is an application to how I live and you live. How do we do this? How do we cultivate this place where we meet with God and hear from Him? Well, it begins with repenting of our sins. It begins in believing the gospel, what's called conversion. But I suspect most of us have done that here. If you haven't, there'll be an opportunity for you to do that in just a moment. But then it contains the following practices for us as Christians. Number one, we believe the gospel truth that Christ's righteousness alone is the basis for our relationship with God. We put our confidence in God, in Christ. Number two, we draw near to God through the spiritual disciplines. Very important here. Reading God's word, praying, worshiping in corporate gatherings, giving our finances to Him, building the church through faithful service, building the church through biblical fellowship and relation, relational reality in our home groups. And number three, we respond to this message with joyful repentance where appropriate and faithful application. The construction site in my backyard is an active one, folks. Workers are still coming. However, just down the street from my home, there's a construction site that has lied dormant for months now. It is an inactive site. What is your life? Is it an active construction site for the cultivating of the place where you meet with God and you hear from God, or for some of you has it lying dormant? Activate the site. (laughs) Activate the site. Because God initiated it. He's on the job. He's the master architect. He's the master builder. We're just subcontractors to Him. The permit's been pulled. Jesus died and rose from the dead. You've got the authorization. You've got the money in the bank. Get going. Is this your life vision? Is this your reality? Lord, build me into not only you and to hear from you, but into my brothers and sisters here into the church so as a temple together we can reflect your glory and it can shine to a world that is lost and in darkness there can be light. If that's not your vision, if that's not what you're committed to, here's an opportunity to repent and to commit yourself to it. Jesus instituted a solemn ceremony 
to commemorate the gospel. Even as that bread and that wine on that table of showbread represented God's covenant faithfulness. So this morning, we are going to celebrate Holy Communion. So I'd like to ask the ushers to please take your places. In Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 to 11, would the worship team please join me? In Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 to 11, we find God ratifying the covenant with Moses through a blood sacrifice and a meal. In this ceremony, we see that God allows Moses and the elders to see him without dying. This is a picture of the covenant of grace in Christ. And it is captured by the sacrament of Holy Communion that we're about to celebrate. Let me read to you Exodus 24, verses 1 to 11. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. And the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words the Lord has spoken to me, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen into the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient and Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people took the blood And he threw it on the people. And he said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. You want to see God? His word, His covenant. And there was under His feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. I don't know if this is a picture of the heavenlies. I'm not sure what's going on here. God could have instantly built sapphire stone or it's a vision of heaven i don't know but it was amazing like the very heaven for clearness now look at this verse 11 and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of israel they beheld god they ate and they drank in revelation we'll see god and eat and drink at the marriage supper of the lamb let's eat and drink now shall we ushers come forward On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took these elements and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. I bet you he was thinking of the table of showbread. And they probably were too. And he took the cup and he says, this is the cup in my blood. He probably was remembering the day that Moses threw the blood on the people at Mount Sinai. He says, this blood now, once and for all, will make a way. They didn't know it yet, but he did. Because he was looking at this scripture, Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with the hands, that is, not of this creation, verse 12, he entered once 
for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats, excuse me, goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls, don't you think the author of Hebrews was thinking of Moses sprinkling people? (laughs) And with the ashes of heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? So dear friends... As we take the cup, as we take the bread, I say to you, the spiritual reality is the blood has already been shed on the heavenly tabernacle. And if you have faith in Christ, this is for you. And if you do not, we're going to pray in a moment. And I pray, confess your sins and repent and run to God. And then you take this. Because this is a symbol of what Christ has won. pray these men are going to pass out the elements while they do I'm going to read one more scripture and then we're going to worship and at the end then we're all going to eat and drink together before God under his favor but let me pray first as every head is bowed if you do not if you do not trust Christ right now but in your heart there is a moving of the spirit of God then I ask you just to consider praying at this moment just cry out to the Lord and Let him know that you now know you're a sinner and deserve his wrath and judgment. But then claim and and, and proclaim Christ as your sacrifice. Cry out that his blood would cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve now the living God instead of serving yourself. Receive him as your Savior now. Father, I pray that even now there are some in this room that they're responding to you. Give them life, Lord. By your spirit, you see the heart of man. If there are those that have been playing the game and haven't thus far really trusted in you, may that change now. By your holy presence, by your merciful presence, oh God. For the rest of us, please do receive these elements. They are for believers. Father, thank you now that we can celebrate these elements together. May they remind us of the covenant that your son forged with us by his blood and his body. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, would you please serve us? Let me read one scripture, and then Miguel's going to lead us in a song. Just listen to the scripture, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Miguel, would you lead us in this song, Covenant of Grace?